0: Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: If you found $100 on the street, would you pick it up or keep walking? Of course you take the money. So why do you keep picking winners and not betting on them? That's why you should go to my bookie. it's fast, it's easy, and they pay when you win. Let's face it, when you're betting, it's just as important as who you're betting on. Do the smart thing. If you're going to bet this football season, bet with my bookie. Did you know you could bet on games after kickoff? If by the second half, it looks like your bet is going to lose, you can always just take the other side. If you're the kind of guy that likes to bet a little and win a lot, try a parlay. If all your picks come through, you'll multiply your winnings, and no matter how you bet, the NFL season is the best time of the year. Join now, and MyBookie will double your first deposit. Use promo code BLUEWIRE to activate the offer. That's promo code BLUEWIRE. Visit MyBookie.com today. You play, you win, you get paid. Alright guys, we're back. Welcome into another BuzzBeat episode. I am Richie, and going to be joined by Spencer and Brian, as always. Just a reminder, BuzzBeat is a proud member of the Blue Wire Network, and you can find our episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcasting app. On today's episode, we're going to react to MJ selling a portion of the team. We're going to assess Team USA and Team USA Basketball. And then we're going to wrap up this episode with a new recurring segment that we're going to have for the next several episodes, kind of leading into the beginning of the season, in which we're going to address every player on this roster. So we'll get to that towards the end of the episode. But first, guys, feels like it's been over a month since we've talked uh, on air here. How are you guys doing? Uh, and you guys ready to talk some basketball?
2: Uh, always ready maybe not as ready this coming season i have been in <laughs> past but no no we're we'll cover this team as we always do and enjoy it because we all love the game of basketball uh but all is going well hard to imagine that uh summer's over and it's i mean we're almost at basketball season so hard to fathom that
3: yeah no it feels good to be back uh did a little bit of travel this summer and uh no i'm ready i like he talked to me in late July, early August. I'm not. I'm. I'm sort of enjoying there being uh, a little bit of break from basketball. But uh, about a month ago, I got the itch to see uh, some hoops again. So happy to be back, uh, even if it is really in this preamble phase as we get ready for what is going to be a tanktastic uh, season here for the Charlotte Hornets. <laughs> All
1: right, let's jump right into the first topic. Uh, this was kind of a late add to the script here. MJ selling a portion of the team he's sold a significant uh, but it was an undisclosed portion so not sure what that means of the team to Gabe Plotkin and Daniel Sundheim and it's been stated that a key motivator for MJ in this move that he was attracted to adding some investors with some deep resources who are going to offer some new ideas uh, in terms of technology advances so guys for better or worse MJ also stated that he is not planning on relinquishing any kind of control of the team uh, in the foreseeable future. so if people had you know ideas about this you know specific selling of the team in terms of him kind of wiggling his way out, it sounds like maybe he's not actually doing that but I don't have too many thoughts on this specific move here but do either of you have any kind of optimism with this move? Or if it's just kind of the same old, same old here? Uh,
2: yeah, I mean, I think a few things on this. I mean, I think, you know, on a surface level, it's a cash infusion. You know, these these both of these guys are hedge fund guys, so um, they, I would consider them to be cash rich. Um, you know, here's an organization... That has pretty much lost money for since it's come back to Charlotte, um, maybe with the exception of a few, of a few corners of that building, uh, and is constantly having to be bailed out, you know, by the NBA through the collective bargaining agreement, um, you know, through the revenue sharing system. So my one conspiracy theory here is, and you know I couldn't leave that <coughs> on the table, <laughs> no is way. that is that this might have been massaged and facilitated by the league, um, and, and maybe this is not the first um, small market that you will see have a few very cash-rich minority owners come to the table. Um, not a, Not a good sign for the Hornets. Will it help? Yeah, it could. It could help. Um, But it's also, to me, a little bit like putting a Band-Aid on a a very severe wound. But, again, Charlotte's not the only team, right? They're they're not the only franchise with this issue. Um, You know, I know that investing in technology and, you know, other advances um, that a lot of the smart NBA teams are using that can afford them, that was kind of cited in the article. Um, So I'm sure that some of the money will be spent there, but I also think that this is more of a – we need to fill the budget gaps, um, and we need to bring this team afloat from a financial perspective um, so the NBA doesn't have to dole out you know millions of dollars every single year. I mean that's kind of my ten thousand foot view of, of what happened here, but again, if the NBA massaged it or not and, and silver's using this as more of a financial strategy uh, is a conspiracy theory, but i think it's a I think it's a fair one. I feel good about it
3: yeah, I think it, there's some interesting aspects to that. And I think, you know, playing off that just a little bit, you know, if everything was running perfectly in Charlotte and and the Hornets have had uh, just two trips to the playoffs and just two winning seasons since MJ took over, you know, the thing we're running smoothly. This is something that doesn't quite happen. You know what I mean? But, but perhaps because there have been a few bumps in the road and there are some, you know, some, uh, some years where the, the Hornets aren't, are, aren't turning seeing black unless they get, uh, help from the league that, yeah, this, this is something that can, can help fill the gaps a little bit. I'm sure there were some people that when they saw this news and realized that, uh, MJ was selling a portion of the team, but but still, you know, going to be the the majority decision maker here. Um, you know, I think some people are either you know, then that dovetails in a couple of ways. You have some fans who are going to be uh, upset that Michael Jordan is still going to be the key decision maker. Now, let's leave that to the side. Um, then you have other fans that are probably going to become immediately concerned. That does this cause, you know, is the franchise at any sort of risk for leaving Charlotte? And, uh, and obviously Seattle is, for a couple of years now, has is, is, is been on the rise as a, a destination city to for the NBA to return there. Obviously, Jordan said, unsurprisingly, uh, in his uh, initial uh, uh, remarks that... Uh, uh, quote, uh, they share, they, she's talking about Gabe and Dan here. Uh, quote, they share my commitment to Charlotte and the Carolinas, and I look forward to working with and learning from them. Um, in general, a lot of like the sort of like buzzwords, I guess you want to see data, modernization, um, just like the two names of, of the, the VC guys that bought in here. You just don't know, they they mean almost nothing because you just don't, there's nothing that you could possibly know uh, about these guys. Um, Overall, I think it seems to be sort of a a net neutral. Um, And just a couple other notes on the Hornets here. Uh, Obviously, MJ bought this team back in 2010, $275 million. The franchise has become far more valuable since then. Uh, Forbes estimated it uh, last year at $1.3 billion, which was like 27th or 28th in the NBA, but obviously still a sizable return on investment.
2: Yeah, and on top of that, BG, I wanted to add another quick point. You know, what we did see earlier this week, actually I think it was, it was yesterday, we're recording this on Wednesday, so Tuesday we saw the news that the projected salary cap um, for the 21-22 season is $125 million dollars. Well, the salary cap for this this coming season is, um, you know, is just shy of 110 million. So the league continues to grow. Certainly, one of the most profitable in the world right now. So. This minority investment uh, of, of an ownership form from very very cash rich hedge fund gentlemen it could also be a, a form of like a farm system uh, in a sense for for some of the people that are interested in ownership in the NBA. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, sort of
3: like what Tepper did with the Steelers in the NFL. Yeah, yeah, exactly. In a, in a way, like, like get a if. Taste. It,
2: yeah, if you're silver or you're the NBA, you're the decision makers, and you have all these people interested in buying into this league because why wouldn't you want to right now? You almost yeah. are assured to not lose money, um, it, it, and there's only thirty of them. Like you have to at some point you have to create opportunity. So, so maybe this has a little bit to do with the strategy as well. And if I'm silver, I'm like, hey, you know what? This is a win-win. Michael Jordan's proven to be a bad owner. Here, I can get two guys who whose net worth is. I don't know. I don't know what their net worth is. But I would guess it's probably closer to MJ's, if not more, than most people would guess. Mm -hmm. Um, So, here are two guys I can bring to the table. And what if things start to turn around in Charlotte and we can buy MJ out? Or, you know, this could all be part of the bigger picture. I don't think it's as simple as it looks on paper as saying MJ just going out there and, and, and recruiting cash for the Hornets my gut tells me it's a bigger bigger deal than that
3: yeah And the other thing I wanted to point out too was we've discussed this before in the pod but when MJ bought this team a decade ago he was one of the the richer uh, owners in the NBA initially correct like is that in but that's changed obviously over the course of the last decade as as new as a league has gone up and as new money and has bought into it tech money uh VC money hedge fund money has bought into it, um, you know. Now the the MJ is on the is probably in that bottom third in terms of of, of net worth as an owner too. So um, you know, perhaps this is something that can at least uh, help in that capacity.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I don't really get into all the the financials and stuff like that, so I'm not really big into this topic as much as you guys are. And um, I think the biggest thing for me is, you know, you know, Spencer, you said something to the effect of it might be a positive, it could lead to a positive, but you know we've talked about this plenty of times if if mj still has his hand in some of these transactions i don't know how much it makes a difference that he's getting you know more of an influx of cash into this team so I don't have much optimism for this move or or what it means down the line. Uh, but it, then again, I'm probably downplaying this a little bit more than than you guys are. Any parting thoughts on this before we get into USA basketball?
2: Now, the only the last thing I want to say is just for folks to, to keep in mind all this is a salary cap league, and in you know when you compare it to other leagues in this uh, in this country, even it's I would consider it a pretty hard cap league. Okay, so but you still have to create your own resources, internal resources as a franchise. Like the the league doesn't create that for you. So if San Antonio builds a new, you know, in state of the art practice facility, the league didn't help them pay for that. That that came out of the owner's pocket. So that's where a cash infusion, you know, I don't know what these resources are. They're citing technology, but that's where this can be a positive for Charlotte is just, I guarantee you they're in the bottom five in terms of just, Overall resources for their players in the mm-hmm. league and this it on at some corner at some turn can help that I think that's the
1: easiest way to look at it. All right. Let's transition to USA basketball uh, The FIBA World Cup in China just finished up this past Sunday Spain defeated Argentina in the gold medal game While the USA men's national team, uh, they did qualify for the uh, 2020 Summer Olympics in Japan they finished in 7th place, which was the worst finish in a major tournament in which they actually sent NBA players. Uh, this team definitely wasn't their A-team. The team consisted of ex-Hornet, Kimball Walker, who led the team in scoring, but also Donovan Mitchell, Harrison Barnes, and Jason Tatum were kind of like the headline players of this team. I guess the first thing that I kind of want to talk about before we kind of dive deeper into this is... Does this worry you at all that USA finished 7th place overall? And just kind of your thoughts on the current state of USA basketball. Yes, like I said, this is not the A team. And, and to be honest, it probably wasn't a B team. It's probably closer to a B minus C team. We definitely could have offered a whole lot more. And you started to see players kind of back out the last minute. And I think, you know, kind of like soccer, you know, M- NBA basketball, excuse me, is definitely an international sport. And I think more and more countries are playing basketball at a young age. And you see these teams that are kind of catching up to USA. But I'll still say this. I don't, for whatever reason, I don't think that USA, I don't think basketball is viewed as highly as soccer is around the world. And I think international basketball, USA basketball, especially if it's not the Olympics, like this is the World Cup, like this is not the same thing as the FIFA World Cup. So, I'm not a, I'm not worried at all about the state of USA basketball. I do think, uh, obviously, other countries are catching up to the USA. But I think to kind of get worried about a seventh-place finish when you field a, a C-plus, you know, B-minus team, I, I I think that's fine. So any thoughts on the current state of USA basketball, Brian?
3: No, not really. If anything, it, it's, it's a good thing to see the world, in, in a way, in a sense, catching up. And I say that as a guy that... Loves watching Team USA basketball, and and I, I ride for this team. But no, man, it's it's awesome to have uh, a guy from Greece, a guy from Serbia that can be the best player in the world, or or a top five player, an MVP candidate, and and that those guys can have their countries rally around them and 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 have a good team. It's good to see Canada and France on the rise as basketball nations. Like all of that, I think is a positive thing. Like this roster was just deeply flawed. It, it, I was I was less worried about sort of some of the, the top line talent. I mean, they still had two all stars on the roster and in, in Kemba and Chris Middleton. Um, Donovan Mitchell's a really good young player. Obviously Tatum was on this roster and the injury was was costly, but some some good players. I just thought it was the way the roster was filled out. Like I thought Miles Turner had a pretty good tournament, but Boy, oh boy, Brooke Lopez was terrible. Mason Plumley, really bad. The Their small ball center options were really limited to basically just Harrison Barnes. Um, I mean, some Jalen Brown, and he had some good minutes too. I think that the bigger concern was how the roster was filled out, and it's the fact that this team never really sort of – <laughs> Spencer, you and I were texting about this during the France game. It, and it was just like the way the offense just sort of never got online the entire time they were there. And USA became reduced to basically like the Charlotte Hornets 2015 through 2019 of just high ball screen for Kemba and, and see if he can if he can get you know get something going to the hoop. So yeah, I think there are some issues with. With continuity and, and filling out the roster but like as far as having the stuff in place i mean greg popovich is he's one of the best coaches of all time they have the deepest pool of players to draw from there are good young players in the pipeline zion williamson jaron jackson jr like marvin bagley like they are good players uh you know coming up with the ranks too like this team's gonna continuously be be stocked with talent um it's just sort of fixing a few things on the margins and and i'm not totally totally worried uh, about usa basketball and again i think overall it's a positive to have these these other other outside countries coming to the table with quality high level nba talent like that's a good thing
2: yeah i mean that that's well said but i i will start with this i think international basketball does matter um and i think it matters in this country um a lot more than i think uh you know most nba fans view it and richie you're right this is not the olympics that's a much different deal than than the world cup but you know i, I in my opinion this is an embarrassing result for usa See, Is or is or isn't it is it is c, c or d team or e, e team whatever i mean this is seventh place is Bad. It's, it's unacceptable for united states right, it just is and so um, you know, Brian pointed out some of the issues this team had. I mean, Tatum's injury really hurt him uh, He was really their one jackknife offensive player outside mm-hmm. of Donovan Mitchell um, and Kimball Walker. But yeah, I mean, this team was always flawed. It, it, it never went, had enough shooting. Um, you know, I think the center play was was questionable at best <laughs> going into the tournament. Um, I think the best moments for the team was when they went small uh, oh, yeah. and put Harrison Barnes at the five and and kind of ran this lift action uh, where it would go out of the high post and then it would just be dribble drive um, kick. So, But, yeah, the team was flawed, and, and, the, and the other international teams obviously bring their best. It, this has been passed around a little bit, um, not a little bit, a lot, by national media, and I tend to agree with the folks that do frown upon certain players, young players that don't use this as a it's development tool. Um Devin Booker probably being the most obvious one. I, I don't – I agree with that narrative. I don't understand what some of these young players that certainly were invited, I would imagine, uh, to this tournament and and turned it down. Um, I don't know what they think they're gaining from that. It, it can't just be injury. I mean, I listened to a podcast with Steve Nash a couple of weeks ago, and, and Steve Nash said this was – it was the one defining turning moment of his entire career. Was international basketball, and he might have been citing the Olympics specifically one year. But I, I don't get it. I don't get it with all these guys, you know, opting out. And I understand it's not the Olympics, but right. I, I don't know how you don't view this as a great opportunity to further your your development and your career as a basketball player. That that part
1: really does baffle me. I, I truly believe they just think the NBA season is just way more important than you know the FIBA World Cup. I think Olympics definitely would be a different situation and that's going to be interesting to see kind of how that roster shapes up uh, for the 2020 Olympics and I know there's a quote out there kind of floating around that you know I don't know if it's Popovich or somebody said that we we will recognize the players that kind of backed out and, and yeah. kind of keep that in the back of our mind as we formulate that that roster. And you know, there does take a commitment when it comes to a, a you know Olympic basketball, international basketball, but I just and I, I guess I guess differ. I just think they think that NBA season is way more important than FIBA basketball. And, not not to say that international basketball is not important, but just the NBA season. I think most players would rather win the NBA finals than they would a FIBA World Cup. And I'm not I'm not talking about the Olympics. I'm just talking about the FIBA World yeah. Cup.
3: And you're, yeah. you're not you're not wrong, Richie. Though too like. Like all of us we the the three of us on this podcast we all have like jobs right we have we have day jobs this is this podcast is something that we do we care a lot about it but we have to make time for it around our own jobs and I'm not trying to say this is the, it this is this is the same thing but there's some parallels like ultimately these guys feed their families they set up their they set up themselves to have generational wealth by playing in the NBA They're, they the 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 amount of money they make playing professional basketball is so grand these days that yeah you have to take it you have to take it seriously yeah so i i'm not i was not completely surprised especially in a summer where there was so much money moving around and what 40 percent of the nba like changed teams or sign new deals or whatever like there was so much player movement granted chris middleton and kemba signed deals for close to $300 million combined this summer, and those guys were, were down there. But I, I've seen this in the past too when, when guys you know move around in you know, the summer of 2016 with the Olympics or the the summer of 2014 with the last World Cup or whatever. Like Some guys that sign a big deal, it's like, yeah, you, you feel like you need to give your, your new team your best effort. Um, and I don't think that applies to everybody because Kemba obviously played and was featured heavily on this roster and he's going to Boston. But I think maybe in a, a next summer – um, coming off the loss, fired up like invigorated to to go back and show the world that u s a basketball is in fact the the top basketball program in the world it, that it also coincides in a summer where there won't be as much player movement. I think is another thing that could help the United states uh build a roster
2: yeah i mean that that's a good point that that certainly could you know just the timing of this could have affected. You know the guys that that opted out. Uh, It's more those those um, middle tier to uh, star young players. I'm with you. Landry, like if you're Landry Shamit, yeah. What like what? what Darren Fox, Marvin Bagley. Darren Fox leaving the team after the day after playing like five or six minutes and like it's. It's so, and it's the world we live in, right? Like, we don't need to go down that rabbit <laughs> hole. It's an individual world. Everybody's looking out for themselves. Nobody cares about team anymore. And it really is a reflection of that to me. Like, all these guys that don't want to go play and experience something different, especially Devin Booker, that guy hadn't played a meaningful minute of basketball since he's been in the NBA. Yeah. And he he won't go play in the World Cup for the United States? I don't I don't understand that mindset. I, I think to
3: get be around Popovich and Steve Kerr and stuff right. like it's that. The too. Exactly. Yeah. It's the experience. Exactly.
2: It's the experience. It's a different experience that should serve as a, a career development tool. But these these guys don't think about it like that. And I didn't think about anything correctly when I was 24, 25 years yeah, old. So did I. <laughs> I you know, I I like understand it from that perspective, yeah. but somebody has got to getting these guys ears man this is ridiculous
3: i want to i want to pull it back for a second and and sort of go go less meta uh about about team usa and and the nba right now and just sort of focus a little bit more on on the micro with the team look I, i worship at the altar of greg popovich i think he is like is a pillar of not just coaching acumen but also just like leadership in western civilization i love greg popovich He's one of the goats, if not the goat, when it comes to coaching. I'm a huge fan. I didn't think this was his best tournament. And granted, he was working with a with a with a deck that was stacked against him because lots of moving parts. You know, the best cards weren't even there to begin with. Guys are dropping out. You know, that that's tough. And he's he's operating on a, on a quick timeline. He's trying to integrate all these guys that have never really played together. He's trying to trying to help them out. But I, I thought in general, like I, I thought his rotations were. Were shaky at best. I thought there were times uh, he went away from Kemba, went to Derek White. Uh, this happened in the game against Turkey in, in the second half, and it was just like, hey, Pop, we can't afford to have Kemba, Kemba on the bench right now. Um, and Derek White, who overall I think had a good tournament, but he's he's he struggled at times, um, and really in that Turkey game in the second half. But um, just going to the fr- the game against France, like that's a game they trailed by ten points. Uh, I believe in the second quarter. And they changed things up early in the second half, and they went away from Kemba. He got in some foul trouble. They went to Donovan Mitchell at the point with uh, Marcus Smart in the backcourt. They went with Jalen Brown at, at the 4 and Harrison Barnes. Harrison Barnes and Jalen Brown at the 4 and 5. And they started to switch basically everything. And France early on had been carving them up. With Evan Fournier and Rudy Gobert, pick and roll, attacking gaps. Gobert getting on the glass. I, I mean, putting a ton of pressure on the rim. And Fournier's shot making was incredible. I, and I'm going to use this to get into a to a to bring this. To, I'm going to dive into this and then bring it back out to a more broad conversation. But. Team USA flips this game 17 points. They are up seven points with this lineup. Mitchell goes crazy. All of a sudden, they're switching on screens. Marcus Smart, who's about a foot shorter than Rudy Gobert, like he's digging in defensively. I mean, how can you not love that guy and his effort? I mean, he clearly wanted to, wanted to be at this tournament, and I just thought he did a phenomenal job fronting and fighting Gobert in the post. And Pop came back with Kemba, and then never again in that game went back to that lineup, and I kind of couldn't believe I mean, that had to be the best lineup that USA played uh, the entire time in in Shanghai, and he he literally never went back to it. And as Kemba, who, as we know, about a 50% shooter at the rim, and even though he is an elite pick-and-roll shooter and shot creator, he's not Steph Curry, and even those really good guys, they have off nights, and he wasn't hitting his pull-up. And obviously like him trying to score at the rim against Gobert is a horrendous proposition. And I thought it was one of those things where, look, obviously I wish Kemba were still on the Hornets. Uh, If you could, especially if you could just like ignore salaries. And I thought overall he was the team's best offensive player. Kemba is a wonderful basketball player. And I'll open this up to you guys. I do think though that game sort of showed the precarious situation you were thrown into when your best player is a like five foot nine pick and roll player that really can't play a whole lot of defense. Do you know what I mean? His inability to get easy shots and get high percentage looks, score at the rim, and how France was taking advantage of him defensively on the other end. Like all I'm saying, if I'm a Celtics fan, I think I like the <laughs> I think I liked a lot of what I saw this summer with tatum and smart and brown playing well and them gelling with kemba and and they seem to be you know singing kumbaya and that seemed all good but that would have made me like a little worried if i if i have title if i have title aspirations you know what i mean in in my head which they they have to maybe not this year but you know in in the near term future and uh i don't know that would made me a little uneasy
1: what brian is saying is if kemba is your best player on your team you should expect a seventh place finish just like the horns that's right that's
3: that that's right
0: Yes.
1: No, it, it makes sense. You're, you're trying to kind of, um, you know, parallel the situation here with Team USA in terms of how Kimba's future is going to be with Boston. And it makes a ton of sense. You know, he is a undersized guard. And when things get tough, you know, you saw what happened with him on the Hornets roster Teams started to double him and just things were frustrating for him. But at least he's going to be surrounded by players uh, that yeah. are better uh, than the Hornets roster. Scenarios again, are different. Scenarios are yeah. different. But then again, he was surrounded by talent on Team USA. So uh, you can kind of play that hand as well. So, yeah, I understand exactly where you're coming from there.
2: Yeah, I I, I just think for Boston, um, I mean, stylistically, it is going to be the same or very similar as it was with Kyrie Irving. But it just all hinges on Jason Tatum and his development. Yeah. Um, you know, if he can be a true or even if he can be the the primary scorer in Boston and, and really take that step, then I think that this is, you know, Kimba fits in nicely there. But And he fits in nicely anyways. But you're right, Brian. I think it's a dead-on observation. And if I'm a Celtics fan, I'm a little bit nervous. And I'm a Hornets fan. I'm like, well, hey, we're moving on to the future, right?
3: Yeah. <laughs> uh, t- the quick note on Tatum, because that, guy's got, that guy has all the skills in the world. Uh, he is a, like, tremendous offensive talent and obviously he got dinged a lot his in year two for just for going to this sort of like um you know fade away mid post game you know looked pretty but it's really not that efficient that dude's got to get a lot better at finishing at the rim holy smokes this uh i mean I'll, I, he wasn't that good at he struggled doing that at duke and that's been an issue for him at times in the nba but like he had so many moves in in uh you know before he got hurt in china and in some of the exhibition games like the final third of the offensive half court, brilliant moves to separate, and then he just can't. I mean, just smoking layup after layup at the rim. Um, that that's a guy that like I just don't think he's going to be there this season as far as like an efficient rim shooter, unless he really makes a big jump in the, in the next month. He cannot. He's still obviously a wonderful offensive talent. And, and Spencer, I I think, you know, like I said, I, I think a lot of where Boston projects in the next 12 to 24, 36 months and beyond that hinges on Tatum's development. But, uh, man, his inability to finish at the rim, I really think is a is thing that puts a, a hard cap on him as a player for the time being. And I love Tatum as a prospect.
1: Yeah, let, let's quickly get into some of the Hornets uh, that participated in this FIBA World Cup. Uh, we had Nick Batum. Who was on the third place team with France, and then Billy Hernan Gomez actually won a gold medal as Spain won this. Do you guys put a whole lot of stock in their experience, and maybe how that might translate into the upcoming season, or do you not take away a whole lot from this? It's it's funny. I think that uh, you know, obviously, I keep relating this back to soccer. There are some players that just play better for their national team than they do their club team and then vice versa. Kind of like, you know, Messi can't play for shit for, uh, Argentina, (laughs) but when he goes plays in Barcelona, he's, he's the best player in the world or at least arguably the best player in the world. So any thoughts on Hernan Gomez and Batum kind of getting some run here? I think it's nice that they got some run and they put up some, you know, pretty decent numbers, but any stock on moving forward in terms of, how this kind of relates to the upcoming season.
3: I,
2: I just think it matters <clears throat> because both of these guys experienced some success, um, you know, within their team dynamic uh, in this tournament. Now, Nick Batum, we can start with him, not good in the tournament. I mean, his shooting numbers, his offensive numbers, more uh, uh, parallel with what we've grown accustomed to the last few seasons with him. But, you know, I, I watched the comeback against Australia in the third-place game And he was a really, really big part of that comeback. And and he played, it was his best game of the tournament, no doubt, nine points, um, six assists, three rebounds, three steals, one block. I mean, he he really was a difference maker for for a really good France team. I I just wanted to bring this up from a Batum perspective because I watched the post-game interview he did uh, with, now I'm not gonna remember who it was with, but he he was so happy. And you could really feel the emotion coming off the screen from Nick Batum and that matters for Nick Batum because mentally with basketball, we all can probably guess he's been in a bad spot for a while. Um, And and I just think that that experiencing that success and and meaning something in in a meaningful basketball game uh, also is a big deal. I'm not saying he's going to come and light the world on fire, but I I am saying that I expect a, a, a mentally basketball healthier Nick Batum when training camp starts in a few weeks um, than if he wouldn 't have been a difference maker in that game, those stuff on the margins i mean that 's what i 'm talking about with the bigger picture of international basketball. It does matter it does matter does it matter more for international you know other countries' players than than u s yeah, probably, but it still matters so and then willie hernan gomez you know he was a backup center for the, the Spain team that won the gold medal um, wasn 't asked to do a lot, but his numbers weren 't bad and, and he was a factor against Argentina. I think he had three blocks um, coming off the bench in the gold medal game so not saying these guys are going to come in and light the world on fire, but I am saying that it, this means a lot to them, and I and I hope it does translate uh, because we're
1: only a few months away, or excuse me, a few weeks away from training camp. All right. So after the break, we're going to get into our new recurring segment. But first, i want to tell you guys about an offer with Axios Sports. There are countless ways to keep up on what's happening in the world of sports, but how are you supposed to read every great article? How are you supposed to watch every awesome highlight without losing time in your busy day? Scrolling through every app and visiting every website on a daily basis is impossible. Now coming to the stage, Axios Sports. Axios Sports is a modern sports page delivered directly to your email inbox. Each morning you'll see the best stories from around the sports world, from the NBA and NFL, to niche sports like cricket and ping pong. The email newsletter highlights the most important stats and trends, giving you the ability to stay informed. It's super simple to sign up. Go to sports.axios.com. Axios Sports is clean, crisp, and gives you everything you need to know. Read it in five minutes in the elevator or discover a deep dive article while you're on the train to work. Not only will you get caught up, you'll be the cool person sharing an amazing link with your friends and coworkers. Join the 100,000 sports fans who get caught up on the day before it even begins. And best of all, there's no paywall, no subscription fee, nothing. This is a free curated sports content delivered directly to you. Do yourself and your time a favor. Sign up for the Axios sports newsletter for free at sports.axios.com. Seriously, I subscribe to it. And it makes me feel more informed without spending time clicking through websites, apps, and social media platforms. Again, try it for free at sports.axios.com.
3: Guys are terrible at taking care of their health. Whether it's a knee injury, bad back, or something worse, guys are usually more comfortable rubbing some dirt on it than seeing a doctor. I'm guilty of it myself. The same is true for erectile dysfunction.
2: Studies show that 70% of guys who experience ED don't get treated for it. Thankfully, Roman created an easy way to chat with a doctor online. With Roman, you can get medical care for ED, if appropriate, from the comfort and privacy of your own home. You can handle everything online in a convenient, discreet manner. Getting started is simple. Just go to getroman.com
1: slash bluewire and complete an online visit. If your doctor decides that treatment would be appropriate, they can prescribe genuine medication that can be delivered in a discreet packaging right to your door with free two-day shipping. Guys, go talk to the doctor. ED can be tough to tackle, but it's really important to get checked out. With Roman, it's easy to connect with a doctor. Just go to GetRoman.com slash BlueWire to get a free online visit and free two-day shipping. That's GetRoman.com slash BlueWire for a free visit to get started. GetRoman.com slash BlueWire. Okay, we're going to be introducing a new recurring segment that will run for the next several episodes called One Stinging Question. We're going to run down the roster and pose one question, which we think is important, and just talk about it. So the three people that we are going to talk about today are Marvin Williams, Cody Zeller, and Malik Monk. So the first question that we're going to pose is to Marvin Williams. And I know we've talked about this on recent podcasts, but this was the one question that I thought was of importance uh, for this upcoming season. Marvin Williams, the question I have for the both of you, will Marvin be traded this season? And then we can kind of jump off of this and talk about what's the return going to be like, or if it would be be beneficial to just to keep Marvin Williams.
2: Yeah. Well, what I like about Marvin here is that he's a combination uh, of a player who I think can help a contender and an expiring contract. So mm-hmm. that, that, that's a pretty valuable trade tool. Um, you know, we could have say, said the same for, for Jeremy lamb this past season and nothing happened on that front, but we're also not going to win as many games and, and be in the hunt for a playoff spot late into the season as we were this so you know i think that the clear direction for this team now is obviously rebuilding i would say there's a pretty good chance you know barring injury or or some kind of l- late career uh, roadblock for marvin um i think there's a pretty good chance above 50 percent that he gets traded and you know in terms of a return it's not going to be great i think you can get a second round pick mm-hmm. but you can get more if you trade him because he's a pretty big number at about 15 million you could trade him for a pretty large uh, poopy contract with extra years on it and get an extra asset for that. So that's kind of the idea with Marvin. And, again, he's that combination of somebody who can help, certainly defensively, I would think, in and in a floor spacer with a contender and an expiring deal to help with their books.
3: Yeah, I'm, I'm right there with Spencer. I, I think a first-round pick is a, is a, a huge stretch. But um, I think, uh, you know, seeing what Mirtich went for at the trade deadline last year, I, look, Mirtich is a, is a better player than Marvin Williams, but it, it makes me think that there, that there should be a market for this guy out there. There are but only so many six foot ten guys that can make 40% of their threes and, and also not completely train wreck your defense when they're out there on the court. Marvin checks all those boxes. Yeah, he's an easy locker room fit, good chemistry guy, can guard. 4s and 5 so that I just you can use this guy on basically any team and he's on an expiring contract um 57% of his field goal attempts last season were catch and shoot 56% effective shooting on catch and shoot threes um, he took 147 catch and shoot threes uh, out of the that were like derived from the pick and roll. So this is a guy that can fit basically anywhere, spotting up, working in the pick, pick and pop action, um, and just know that he can help make your offense a little bit more efficient without taking anything away from uh, your defense. And I think the Hornets should. Work to get this guy off to a good start, and should aggressively shop him um, into February.
1: Right, and I, I think you guys talk about not getting a first round pick for Marvin and and Spencer. You brought up a good point with his contract. Maybe you can take back a longer contract and potentially get a first round pick. And I know I feel like I've said this before on a previous episode in terms of if he's going to be traded, it's going to be well in all likelihood to a contender. And then we all know where contenders draft picks fall. It's towards the end of or the back half Mm -hmm. of the the round. So could we get a late first round pick? I I think you potentially could if you did take back some salary that went a little bit longer. Uh, But I guess if you got a second round pick, it probably wouldn't be the contenders own second round pick. It would probably be an extra pick that they've picked up in a previous trade. But yeah, like you said, Brian, he can fit on a whole lot of different teams. Uh, He does offer a lot on the defensive side and offensively yes he's kind of coming one or two dimensional where he's just strictly a three-point shooter and him attacking the rim these days at his age uh has become less and less frequent but still a guy that you would want in your locker room a guy that you would want in your locker room as you are approaching the playoffs and like like Spencer said he's an expiring contract so if we did get a first-round pick it probably would be coming at the cost of taking back more salary but then again, it probably would be a late first-round pick because he is going to a contender.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and the way and kind of what you're leading to, Richie, the way it happens is because of Marvin's number, that 15 million dollar number. I mean, you can take back almost. Have to throw into the to the machine. You could take almost 20 million back in yep. bad or dead salary, and if it's dead salary uh, for a contender that's looking at tax issues.
1: That might, that might get you a first-round pick. All right, and uh, question number two is focused around Cody Zeller. And this is, this is a tough question. I feel like we've posed this last offseason. Will Zeller play more than 60 games this season? So just to kind of give you a rundown real quick, uh, his rookie season was his only season in which he played in all 82 games. I don't think we're expecting that. But the past two seasons, he's played in 49 and 33 games, respectively. He only hit the 60 game mark in his first four seasons, but again, like he's been caught with this injury bug year after year after year. So I'm going to go ahead and say, I don't think that Cody Zeller will hit that 60 game mark. I just feel, you know, his career has been riddled with injuries and the past couple of seasons have been the worst. I think, If he gets to the 60-game mark, that would be, you know, a a success. I would be okay if he only played 60, 65 games because I'm not expecting him to get to that 70 mark. He is someone that's very important to this team. We always talk about his importance probably isn't noted when he's on the court. It's really when he's off the court that we kind of value him. And that's, that's kind of what sucks about Cody Zeller because he's underrated in that aspect. A lot of fans don't view him as this guy that's necessary for uh, a team that wants to contend for the playoffs. Not that we are this season, but just his attributes on the court bring a lot to the table. Uh, But I don't think he's going to be playing a whole lot of games this season. You know, not to his fault, just because he's, I guess we call injury prone.
3: Boy, could you imagine if for the first time in (laughs) 40 years the Hornets aren't chasing a playoff spot and Cody Zeller plays like 75 (laughs) games or something It would be... Uh, hilarious and, and sad to see. Nah, no, I, I don't think at this point. I mean, Cody's uh, if he isn't 27 already, he's going. He'll be turning 27 the, the first week of October. Um, so coming up, I like Cody as a lot as a player. He's very good, but this is a guy that just gets hurt everywhere: hand, uh, knee, foot. Um, it's not just sort of like one, one thing and he's a high contact player. Uh, and he only knows how to play hard. Uh, it's a blessing and a curse for him. I think, um, I, I'd like to see it and you never know, maybe Cody at some point in the next year becomes a, a, a trade ship as well too. But, uh, as of right now, no, I think the safe money is to say that Cody's, Playing under 60 games.
2: Yeah, I agree with you guys. I mean, unless you subscribe to the idea that not having Kimball Walker and having to set, uh, you know, on your team and having to set a million screens for Mm. him a game is going to preserve your body more. But what I would say to that idea is that. Uh, what what else is Cody Zeller really doing on the floor offensively other than being a good screen setter? I mean, you said it, Brian. He's a good energy guy. Uh, off, get, he can give you some offensive rebounds. You know, he's going to mm-hmm. get on the floor first, do these kind of you know dirty work kind of things. But, I mean, screen setting and rolling and just being some form of gravity against the defense is, is really what he does best. So if he's not setting screens, I don't know what he's doing anyways. But, um, yeah, it would, it would feel like – now that Kim has gone and we're out of any kind of contention, he'll play 82 games. So.
1: <laughs> Wonderful. Yeah, the center position is definitely going to be interesting this season. Uh, Cody Zeller probably will get injured, but like you said, Spencer, maybe he will play 82 games now that we're not in contention. And probably Biombo's going to play too many games if, oh. if Cody does go down. And then Hernan Gomez uh, clearly is has a lot of faults. Hopefully he can kind of step up his game. But let's go on to the last question. Biombo's a trade For- ship
3: too. As well, yeah, they're expiring as well. Potential. Will yeah. you guys
2: blame me if I forgot that Bismack Biombo was on our team until just now? That, I <laughs> you guys <laughs> don't hold Sorry. it against Sorry. me, but the, it's true.
3: The reason I remember is because uh, you guys discussed him on the last podcast, and then I also saw a, uh, i saw an Instagram the Hornets put up like yesterday or two days ago that that Bismack was in it. I was like, oh god, he's on the team still.
1: <laughs> yeah, can't forget about uh, the mac All right. Yeah, last question for Malik Monk. Will he turn the corner this season, and will he see more consistent minutes? Well, let me just answer this question. I think he will see more consistent minutes. Uh, I don't think that will automatically result in him kind of turning the corner this season. He's definitely had some underwhelming seasons his first two years with the Hornets. Now, Part of that is to blame on the inconsistent minutes, but I think think it works both ways. I think his play was not consistent enough for him to see consistent minutes. He's not going to have anyone to blame but himself if things don't go right this season. Yes, he's surrounded by lesser talent, but I really do hope he turns the corner this season. But I'm actually expecting kind of like another underwhelming season out of Malik Monk. But Brian... Do you see him turning any kind of corner this season, or just more of the same?
3: Yeah, this is make or break, I think, honestly, for Malik Monk, and and, and maybe that's tough for a guy that uh, you know won't turn 22 until you know almost halfway through the season. But uh, you know, after two years of the NBA, uh, guys, you know, they, they're not finished products, but that you're sort of seeing the track that they that you can project them out to. You're sort of seeing where the the rail line, what direction it's it's being pointed in. And uh, Malik, outside of some some fun explosive games, uh, his rookie season and his sophomore and his, his, his second year in the NBA, like we just hadn't seen a lot of it. Uh, I think he's been a good catch and shoot, not a great catch and shoot player in the you know the high 30s, but n- not quite as high as you would like it to be, or with the volume. I think his his shot selection has been sort of blah, but maybe a little bit better last year, even though his effective shooting rate hung at about the same. Uh, the same level he's a guy that can play make and at at times he's demonstrated some good vision but turnover prone and and throws some real head scratchers in terms of passes that that leave you sort of uh, unsure of what he was seeing or or thinking was going to have happen there Um, I will be curious to see if, if Malik gets more playing time on ball this season Uh, At the one, uh, I know that was a mess. His rookie year, and I've tweeted out and talked about plenty of those numbers before, in terms of what those lineups looked like and and just how uh, turnover prone he was and inefficient they were offensively. But you know, this is a guy who you know. if at his best his ceiling might be microwave scorer off the bench um and and a guy that needs to play with the ball in his hands a little bit this year and you're just you're gonna we'll figure it out like we'll we'll know this time a year from now we'll know more um it might be exclusively bad news but at least we'll know uh and this is an important year for malik and his trajectory as a player as a shooter and and positionally sort of figuring out where he lands and really maybe the hornets i think it might be it could be a total train wreck but the hornets i really do think need to look at giving this guy some time running the offense and just see what and just just to see what they have
2: yep i mean i agree there's no excuse not to give malik minutes this year um and see what you've got here i mean that that's it's definitely, I think, the most intriguing question surrounding this team uh, entering this season. It, you know, is there any sliver of hope that Malik Monk can pop and and really be a player in this league? Uh, but I don't expect anything. You know, I, I I do expect him to to come out of the season looking better as an NBA player. I think the numbers will go up. The minutes are obviously going to go up. I think he becomes, you know, a better shooter, and I think that only because. He knows he can he can guarantee himself now that he's got a certain amount of minutes and a certain role every single night where where he really hasn't been able to guarantee him the, the, himself that in the first two years. Now, in my opinion, that's to nobody's fault other than his own, but it is what it is. So I, I think knowing that he's got a role will help him. Um, but you know, I, look, I'm on the record. I, I don't think this guy's a very good NBA player. Um, you know, I, he, he showed he showed us nothing on defense for two straight years. He showed us extremely sloppy playmaking um, chops, and I, I don't know that that that, that will improve. Uh, but I, I'm interested to see how he and, and Terry Rozier look next to each other. Not real bullish on it, but it is intriguing. Um, but look, there, you got to pull the plug on the Malik Monk leash. Like This is the season to just throw him out there and see what happens.
1: All right, so that wraps up one stinging question. If you guys have any questions pertaining to any of the other Hornets players in the roster, let us know uh, on Twitter at and and maybe we can center our question uh, for that player. Obviously, we're no longer doing Marvin Williams, Cody Zeller, or Malik Monk. Uh, thanks again, guys, for tuning in. I know it's been a bit of a hiatus, and we've been gone for about over a month, but moving forward, you guys can expect our episodes to hopefully stick on a Wednesday release so that you guys can be on the lookout every week and and know when the new episodes are going to drop so that you're not having to wonder when they're coming. So we're going to try to do that throughout the season. Uh, If there's an emergency pod, clearly that's going to be coming at you whenever that bit of news comes out. But Wednesday releases is what we're going to try to stick for. As always, guys, we'd appreciate a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Go ahead and take that one minute out of your day and just go ahead and do that for us uh, if you haven't done so already. Uh, For Spencer and Brian, I am Richie. We will see you guys next episode. Go Hornets.
4: Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about, but why?